0: Hey everyone, we are so excited that we are continuing our series, One Thing, this week. If you don't know me, I'm Eric. I'm a pastor on staff. I'm usually pretty involved up on this stage, but I'm excited to conclude this series with you this week. We've done this for a couple of weeks, and I know we've kind of given Billy a hard time every week saying... This is a series called One Thing. Why are there so many one things? Well, there's a lot of different perspectives in Scripture. A lot of different people that speak and that say, hey, this one thing is important to me. And today, we're going to finish in a pretty common passage. But before that, I want to tell you the importance of this. There's a passage. I need to start over. That was actually terrible. I really hated that. Could you also turn down the mains just a little bit? It is so loud on me. Test, test, that's better. Yeah, I like to hear myself, but I was like hearing myself three times. You can just keep it all recording. You don't need to stop anything. I'll just cut it. All right, let's try this again. Hey everyone, I am glad that you are joining us here today as we conclude our series, One Thing. Now, we've been going through this series for a couple of weeks now. This is our fifth week, and no, there's not five things. It's each week is one thing, and I'm excited to be talking to you about one thing that comes from Paul. But if you, if you don't know me, th- there's something about me that's really important, and that's that I hate moving. I, I've said this before to our church, I really don't like moving. Kaylee and I have moved a lot Over the last few years, we've been in the same city, within the same zip code even most of the time, but we've moved a lot from place to place. And as we've moved, we've jumped from apartment to house to apartment to house, and over the years, I've really come to appreciate a good lawn. I don't know why. I was never that kid growing up. You know, I I hated cutting the grass when my parents had me do it. I was actually really bad at cutting the grass. (laughs) My parents asked me to do it. You can talk to me about that later. But over the years, I've just determined what used to be a chore is now something that I really like and appreciate. I like having a well-cut lawn. I like to trim the edges around the sidewalk. I like to make it look nice and clean. I think it helps our house look a whole lot better without doing a whole lot of work. Now, because of that, I, I cut our grass very often, at least once a week, if not once every five or six days, depending on the rain, because I really care about it it's a good time for me to turn on a podcast, listen to a new album that just came out, and I can just kind of walk and weed whip or cut the grass, and it's just kind of a nice relaxing thing. But a couple of weeks ago, our lawnmower broke. It broke, and I was devastated is the wrong word. I was more frustrated. I don't want to go and buy a new lawnmower. I know that I have to cut my grass. That's not going to change. It's going to grow whether my lawnmower is broken or not, but I don't have a working lawnmower. So I talked to some friends and said, hey, I this is what noise it's making. This is what's happening to it. And a lot of them were stumped. And one person said, you know what? I think you need to change your carburetor. Carburetor is something inside the lawnmower that honestly, I don't totally know what it does. Okay, I know where it was. I, I knew how to buy one. And eventually, I got up the Gumption to go out, and I bought a new carburetor online. And I, when I got it in the mail, I said, you know what? I'm going to take care of this. Now, if you know me, you probably would not define me as the handiest of people. When something breaks, I tend to find someone who's really good at it and have them fix it for me and I'll pay them or they'll be really kind and not ask me to pay them. And I'll I'll just let them fix it and take care of it. But this time around, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try this. I I need this lawnmower done. I need to cut the grass today. I need to change this carburetor. So I looked up a video on YouTube and said, okay, where's the carburetor inside my lawnmower? I turned it off and I said, you know what? I'm going to try to figure this out. I'm going to try to handle this all on my own. So I start taking something apart and I realize that as I try to pull it off the front, you know, with the screws detached, that it was stuck on another thing. So I'm like, okay, I need to take this off first so that I can take that off. And as I was taking the second piece off, there was a third piece that was inside of it that I had to take off that first. So I'm taking these all pieces apart. If you look behind me in my driveway, I just had all these parts of my lawnmower kind of behind me and I, I had the screws and the bolts like right next to what it was supposed to go with. And I took a video at the beginning of what it looked like and that was it. So it was a little precarious, a little touch and go at one point. But eventually, I, I did get my carburetor in. I got it attached, and I got everything put back on perfectly, and I was so excited. I'm like, this is the best. I just fixed my lawnmower, and I go, and I, I, I grab the, this shows who I am, the grip thing to make it start, and I pull the chain, and it makes the exact same sputtering noise that it did before, and it dies. I was so upset so upset, so frustrated. I'm like, I put in all this work. It took me a good hour to change this carburetor. And I was like, what the heck is going on? So I had a friend come over and I said, what's going on? He's like, you know what? I don't really know. I really thought this is what it would have been. And then he's like, you know what? Let's just try this. So we took out the air filter, started right up, ran like a dream, and I was so frustrated. Instead of spending weeks dreading changing this part and buying the carburetor and taking the time putting it in and doing all of this, I could have just gone to Lowe's and bought a $3 air filter and changed that out and my lawnmower would have been perfectly good. Back to normal. But I didn't. I made it way more complicated. Instead of saying, it's probably the simple thing and buying a new air filter, which I hadn't done before anyway, I decided to go to the next step or even the step after and change a more difficult part and make it much more complicated than it needed to be. The passage we're going through today, it's kind of like my lawnmower. We tend to make it way more complicated than it really is. We tend to read this passage and put so much more into it than it really has. Paul is really straightforward here and I want to go through that. And I want to show you how Paul is saying, here's this, here's this, here's this. Now let's go and live it. That's the one thing today. So If you have a Bible or if you want to click the tab on your screen that has a Bible, we're going to go to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be starting in verse 2. Now, the one thing comes a little bit later, but we're going to start in verse 2 of chapter 3. If you have a Bible, that's towards the back. If you're clicking on the screen, just type in Philippians, uh, P-H-I-L, and you should be there. And we're going to go through this and see what Paul says for his one thing to the church in Philippi. Starting in verse 2, he says, Beware of the dogs... Beware of the evil workers, beware of those who mutilate the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, even though I too have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, Of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet, whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as a loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if I somehow may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal But I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Now that is a mouthful. And there is a lot there. And there's actually a couple of pretty prominent passages that are preached on in that chunk right there anyway. So we're going to touch on one for a second. We're going to really lean into the other one. But where we're going to be focusing today is Beloved, starting verse 13. I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of God in Christ Jesus. So to really understand this, uh, like I said, I think it's pretty simple. But it's only simple if we really understand grammar. Now, that is the most school term. If you think of school, you may even think of grammar school or grammar class or um, conjunction junction and those songs that you listen to when you're in fourth and fifth grade. Grammar, it's not super fun. But if you actually know a little bit of English grammar, I would actually go out on the limb and say, you could probably understand a lot more of what's in Scripture than those who don't even understand English grammar. So I want to go through, and if we look at this passage, a few important grammar pieces can really give us a straight and narrow path to what Paul is saying to us in verses 13 and 14. So what is the one thing that Paul does here? If you look at this passage, what is the one thing that Paul does? He presses on. Now, if, you, if you're looking at that passage, it's actually not right next to it. It actually kind of is confusing. You would say, Eric, that's not even in the same verse. That's in verse 14. The one thing is in verse 13. How is, that, how is pressing on the one thing that Paul does? Well, a little grammar will tell us why. In verse 13, But this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. When I've heard this preached before, those are what i are often told, that's his one thing. The one thing I do, I forget what's behind and I'm straining towards what lies ahead. Well, first of all, that's two things. And second of all, those are not verbs. Those are participles. Now, I know when you woke up this morning, you're like, you know what, I really hope that this sermon is all about grammar and I can learn about verbs and participles and nouns and conjunctions and things today. And that is probably not true, but I, if you come with me for just a second and you follow with me, I can show you how this is really important and these few little grammar things can really give out the life of what Paul is saying. Paul's not talking about forgetting and straining. He's talking about pressing on. What does he press on to? That's the direct object, the goal. What does he press on for? The indirect object, the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. So I want to go through each of these grammar terms real quick and then get to the main point of why this is important for us in our lives today. Not tomorrow, not when I get a master's degree, not when I'm a master theologian today. All right, so the first thing, I want to focus on the verb. Press on. Press is the verb in that sentence. Those whole two verses, I I don't know who decided how to divide up verses in scripture. I was not on that board or that panel, and they tend to do this where they split up sentences into multiple verses. I don't know why. I have no good answer for it, but unfortunately, if we only go by verse number, sometimes we miss the bigger meaning of what some people are saying. Paul is actually notorious in his letters for having incredibly long run-on sentences. There is a certain passage that he has one sentence that's actually like four or five verses because it's just so long. And he adds conjunction after conjunction after conjunction, continuing what he is saying time and time and time again. And in this passage, Paul's sentence begins at the beginning of verse 13 and ends at the end of verse 14, actually. It's, it's a mixture of those two verses. So the verb, it comes right in the middle, but at the beginning of verse 14. I press on. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Okay, press on. Paul is clearly emphasizing action. I can't think of the word press and not think of doing something. I'm either pressing something forward or pressing something up or pressing something down. I'm pressing something. It's active. There's movement. There's movement. Paul, before this passage and the beginning in verse 2 that we read, Paul is critical of false teachers, the dogs and the evil workers. And he calls the church in Philippi to action. Press on. Don't just listen. Press on. I think Paul is calling us to that same thing. Press on. Press on. Do you ever feel like you just, you can't press on anymore? You're like, Eric, that sounds great Paul is a good guy. He's maybe a genius. He's, he has all this stuff in Scripture. He just said, "But I just I've been pushing for so long. I can't keep pressing. My arms are weak. I can't keep pressing." Well, I'm here to tell you that that's what the strength of Christ is for. And that's something we're going to get to in a minute. But. When we're living with Christ, yeah, our strength will eventually run out. We cannot lift everything that we need because we're humans. We're not God. And some would say that's the worst, but I would say that's a blessing. He doesn't call us to carry the world. He doesn't even call the church in Philippi to go and change everything about the evildoers. He doesn't call them to change the world. He says, just press on. Just Keep going. Unfortunately, though, I actually think fewer people fall into that camp than we like to think. A lot of people say, I just can't press on. I'm too weak. I'm too tired. And I, I can even imagine people in my own life right now that are in that camp. They've been pressing for years, and it feels like weight after weight after weight is on their shoulders. And they are immaculate people. But most of the people I actually see <laughs> live it a little bit differently. They're wishing that God said the opposite. Paul's not saying press on. He's saying something else. And I I think it's actually important, and it's maybe more telling from Paul, to point out what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, sit back. Forgetting what's behind, straining towards for what's ahead, just sit back and wait. Just hold on tight. Jesus is coming back. Just gather what you can and get a nice little house and sit and turn on the television until the Lord returns. No, he doesn't tell us that. He doesn't say sit and wait. He doesn't say just hold back. He doesn't say just kind of sit on your hands and kind of wait until the time is up. He doesn't say just live out your years making the most of it. He says press on. Press on. And it's, it's amazing that Paul says that to these people because if you, ha- you have Paul, the author, and you have the Philippian church, the listeners or the readers, and between the two of them, Paul is probably the one who could say, I just need to sit back. I've done so much. I know here in our church we talk a lot about Paul and his journeys and everything he's done, and he talks about that a little bit himself. And if there's anyone in Scripture who could say, you know what, I've done enough, I'm just going to sit back and wait it's Paul but for that man to turn to this church and say no don't stop don't wait don't listen keep pressing on press on towards the goal that's got to mean a lot for us that has to mean a lot for us if Paul can't sit back and wait neither can I if Paul is not done and completed then neither am I do I look like Christ? Then I'm not done. Do we look like Christ? Then we aren't done. Press on. So that's the verb. That, that's actually the one thing. But the one thing is described even more so by the participles. Okay? These are the most grammar words. If you go to work and say anything about the word participle, you're probably going to sound pretty intelligent because everyone's like, what the heck is that? So a participle is a verb that's acting like an adjective. We know what adjectives are. Colors, thoughts, like, hey, I'm a tall person. Tall is an adjective. Hey, I'm a smart guy. That's an adjective. That's also second grade English. Participles are verbs that are acting like adjectives, and they typically end in ing, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Those aren't verbs. Paul is not saying forget. He's not saying strain. He's saying forgetting and straining. He's describing with verbs. And that's the importance of these participles. His one thing is still to press on. But the cool thing about a participle is that it describes the state of a person as they are acting. So just like the tall man went to the store. Okay, I'm describing the person that's going to the store. That's the state of the person. They're tall. Okay? This person, Paul, Paul is forgetting. And Paul is straining as he presses on. That's a call to all of us. As we press on, we need to be forgetting and we need to be straining. And the coolest part about them is you could make the argument, and you'd probably be wrong, but you can make the argument that to press on is a one-time thing. He's saying, hey, Philippians, press on, don't stop. But the forgetting and the straining, those are continuous. Those are happening over time. A lot of us, we became Christians in one moment. We raised our hand, we said yes to Jesus, we crossed the line of faith, we said, I I want the Lord in my life. And that was a moment. But you'd be really hard pressed to say that growth is not a journey. That growth doesn't happen over time. That transformation is more than just a moment. Transformation begins in a moment and it continues for all time. Same here. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what's ahead. It's a continual process. It happens over time and it does not end. So I I want to talk about those two. Paul says, Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting what lies behind. What lies behind? That's really important. If you say, okay, I believe you, Eric. This is, this is simple. I'm going to press on and I'm going to try to forget and I'm going to try to strain as I do it, but what am I forgetting? The past. But a unique take on the past. Paul is not forgetting who he is. If you don't remember, earlier in the passage, way up in verse 7, Paul, he kind of gives his pedigree. Sorry, verse 4. He gives his pedigree. And that's an often taught passage about not boasting or not being proud. And that's great. But he gives his pedigree. He didn't forget who he was. Paul's not saying, sacrifice everyone, move on from everything, burn every bridge, and go forward. No, that's not what he's forgetting. He's forgetting the way life was. Okay, back at verse 4. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, okay, and he also connects that to the law, the Jewish Old Testament law. He has more. Circumcised on the eighth day, law. A member of the people of Israel, law. Of the tribe of Benjamin, law. A Hebrew born of Hebrews. Purity in the Jewish culture and the law, important. As to the law of Pharisee, the ones they believe held the law to the highest standard. As to zeal, a person persecutor of the church. He cared about the law so much that he was even persecuting the people that he now calls brothers and sisters. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Everything in the law was perfect to Paul. But he's saying, I'm forgetting what's behind. That way of life is gone. That is not who I am anymore. That does not define me. That does not define my future. That does not define my life. I'm moving on. So for us, what is that? For a majority of people I know, I, I don't think we adhered to the law and then came to Jesus. Maybe not the Jewish law, but maybe a different law, a couple other laws. What's the past? past is the good old days. You could be 20, you could be 90, and you can have good old days. I know a lot of people my age, they reminisce about the 90s. The 90s were good and bad all around, but a lot of people my age, they look back and man, the 90s were the best. We talk about cartoons and video games and things that are resurging right now that came from the 90s. Those are the good old days. That's what reality was. And maybe the good old days were great. Maybe they were good. Maybe they were just fine. Maybe they were bad. But they were the past. That's the way it was. Maybe you loved every second of it. Paul didn't say he hated his past. He actually kind of holds it to a little bit of like It's like he's looking at it and saying, I remember this. And at one point, it was good. Now, his persecution of the church, he has lamented, and he talks about that in Scripture, but he didn't say that he was living a terrible life. He was saying all of that was pale in comparison to finding Christ. He realized that the past was not the future. That Christ was not a part of it, so he let it go. Maybe the past is the good old days. Maybe the past is how we lived without Jesus. You, you may not know this about me. I, I like certain rap music. I am a fan of Kanye West, which is super controversial, which is fine. I don't love everything about the guy. But he just released his album, which he's been talking about releasing an album for about a year. And as I was listening to it, it just kind of like comes to my mind that, oddly enough, a lot of people that are on a rap album, they kind of give their own intro all the time who they are, where they're from, what they do. That's kind of what Paul did in verses 4 and 5. Hey, this was me. This is my clout. This is why you should listen to me. This was me before Christ. And Paul is saying, my pedigree doesn't matter. I was the CEO. I had the Ivy League degree. I had a doctorate from Cambridge in the UK. My company was a Fortune 500 company. I had the mansion, the three Ferraris, the wife, the kids. I had it all. And Paul is saying that was a waste. Not because those things are wasteful in and of themselves, but because they aren't Christ. He said they kept me from who Jesus is. That's his past. That's the way things were. Maybe the past is who we wanted to be. I think a lot of Christians struggle with this one who we wanted to be. There's a lot of things that we may want to be, but they may not all be who God calls us to be. Now, I do believe that when we live with Christ and we have the Holy Spirit in us, there's a space where those things can come together, where we can eliminate selfish ambition, but we can embrace holy ambition, and we can chase after Christ. I do believe in that, but a lot of times we We kind of forsake the holy ambition. We say, well, God, can't you be a part of this selfish ambition that I have? Lord, how about you bless this? That's what I'd prefer. But Paul is saying, that's what's behind. I'm forgetting what's behind. And it's important that he says he's forgetting. At this point, Paul has done so many things. He's planted many churches. He has multiple proteges. He's he's been studying the Christian faith for years. He didn't say he forgot his past. He still is actively forgetting. He's actively trying to recalibrate his mind from what was into what should be and what is. And that's why he's forgetting and straining. I forget what's behind and I strain towards what is ahead. Why is Paul straining? Again, we, we talk about Paul's pedigree, both Jewish before Jesus and Christian after Jesus, and he's this impeccable man. Why is Paul straining? Because there's still something holding him back. Have you ever strained a muscle before? I mean, I hope not, but probably. Um, I'm an athlete. <laughs> I say I'm an athlete. I exercise. And I do this all the time. I don't know why. I am very, very prone to pulling or straining a muscle or getting some knot somewhere in my back, and my shoulders, whatever it is. It's really common and it really drives me nuts. But it's really common for me. Why does that happen? Because there's some limitation I'm trying to push back on. Anytime you strain a muscle, there's some limit, whether big or small, that you try to push back on and it just doesn't work. Maybe it's your flexibility. I try to touch my toes. Oh, I pulled this. I'm trying to run. My hips are out of alignment, or I'm not flexible enough. I don't have enough conditioning. I'm (laughs) just not generally athletic enough to do what I'm trying to do. I cannot jump over my own head. I might strain something trying to do that. Paul is moving towards what he wants, even though his past is continually pulling him back behind. Paul is exercising his spiritual muscle, straining forward even though what's there is still pulling him back. And that's why he's continually forgetting what's behind because it's not a one-time action. It's not a moment. He says, I'm going to go this way even as the bungee cord is pulling me back this way. I know this is where I want to be and I'm going to go that way no matter what and I'm going to strain with everything I have to get there. forgetting what's behind and straining towards what's ahead. He's continually, actively forgetting, recalibrating his mind from the way he viewed life before into the way he views life now with Christ. That's Paul's state of being. So as he says, press on, it's not just push because you can. Push, push, push. It's as you push, forget what's behind and go towards that goal that's in front of you and push towards it. As you strain and try to forget and recalibrate your mind from who you were and to who you're called to be, push forward because you can see the goal in front of you and it's beautiful and it's worth it. Press on. With the goal last week Billy talked about the importance of vision. When you have the vision in front of you, you can push forward and you gain more momentum, more strength, more endurance because you know where you're going. You're not just trying to cut off what's behind. You're trying to go towards Jesus. And that's ahead. That's in front. So we have our verb press on. We have our participles forgetting and straining. And we have our direct object Again, this is the most hopefully exciting grammar lesson you've ever heard. The direct object, that's the goal. The direct object answers the question, to what? So, my state of being, I'm forgetting and I'm straining. My verb, I press on. I press on to what? To the goal. To the goal. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. I don't just press on aimlessly. I don't just close my eyes and push for eternity. I press on toward the goal. So what are you pressing to? What are you pressing on to? What is so worth forgetting everything we once knew, forgetting the way of life that we once had? What is worth that? What is the goal? And it's, it's simple. It's to be back with God if you open up your Bible to the very beginning and you read Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, it starts with this beautiful story and it turns into a tragedy when sin and the fall happen. But it's not a tragedy because Adam and Eve no longer have this heavenly retirement plan and they get to go up in the sky when their life is over. The story goes from beauty to tragedy because man and woman were with God and then they no longer were. Ripped apart. Sin separated man from God. It's not a story about paradise, it's a story about relationship. That Adam and Eve had that close, intimate relationship with God, and then they no longer did. What is the goal? To be restored with God. We may want something more sometimes. Unfortunately, that happens too often. Unfortunately, we place something in front of us that isn't really the goal. Sometimes we make the goal a moment. I want to have this moment with Jesus. That's the goal. I I want to have this incredible Sunday experience. That's the goal. I want to have this awesome event happen. I, I want this mission to be the most important thing in my life. But it's not. It's not those little things. It's not an organization it's not a political regime it's not a bigger house a shinier car more money sex power church attendance it's not even avoiding hell those are not the goal and if those are your goal to be honest you're going to not be able to press on forever because eventually you're going to reach it you're going to push and push and push and be there and be let down i did it i went to church I followed the mission. I I stopped doing this. I started doing that. And eventually it's not going to be enough. And it's not going to be enough because it's not the goal. The goal is so much simpler but so much sweeter. So much more beautiful. The goal is Jesus. And if you think that sounds like the most surface-level, beginning Christian lesson you've ever heard, then I, I would encourage you to hear it again. The goal is Jesus. And it's the goal because too often, He's right there and we press on, but we, we stop pressing. Or we're pressing, but we're also dragging along everything else behind us. I want this too. The goal is to be with Christ. Now that'll happen in perfection in the next life. I believe that, but I also believe that we can grow in that now. We're not just here with some glass divider waiting for Jesus to come back and raise the divider so we can come and be with Jesus now. No, it, it, it can happen today. You can be closer to Jesus tomorrow than you were today and the next day closer than the day before and so on and so on until our life is done That is the goal. So what is the future you press on towards? Well, Paul's answer in verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. That's the goal. That's what Paul's saying. I'm here. I press on. I'm straining towards Jesus. I'm forgetting all my clout. I'm forgetting all my way of life. I'm forgetting what I thought was important. And I'm straining so that I can know Christ and I can know his resurrection and I can know his power and I can suffer with him. That's the goal. That's the goal. Life with God, life reflecting God because we're made in his image. That's the goal. Like I said at the beginning, this is not some crazy, difficult passage. It's really, really straightforward. But too often we complicate it. Too often we don't want the answer to be a return to God. Restoration. Living in our true humanity. Our pre-fall humanity. Our connection with God kind of humanity. We want to make it difficult. We want to look at that and say, well, okay, but have you read the Greek? Okay, but There's a lot of stuff in here that I don't really understand. It's pretty evident, the meaning. Paul says, this was me, and I found Christ. So what I thought was gold turned out to be trash. And I want more of Jesus, and I'm not there yet, but I do this one thing. I press on while I'm trying to forget the old way and breathe in the new way. I press on while I try to forget the old way and breathe in the new way. That's all that he's saying. If you, if you are taking notes or you, you write anything in your phone or you just want one thing to remember, remember this. Jesus is worth everything we could give. Now again, I, I'm going back to it again, but in verse four, those things don't mean a ton to us. Paul's status, but To Paul, to that community, to those people, to where he lived, that was the epitome. He was the top of the social and personal and spiritual ladder. He was up there. You could not get higher than Paul was. And he's saying, I give all of that up because of who Jesus is. I forget everything about that way of life the value system, how I view money, how I view people, how I view Jesus, and how I view spirituality. All of it is an old way of thinking, I want this new way, and this new way is in Jesus. Jesus is worth everything we could give. Money, time, space, years. Hey, Lord, I want to give you everything I have. Lord, I want to give you Tuesday night. Lord, I want to give you my 30s. Lord, I want to give you my house. Lord, I want to give you my kids. Lord, I want to give you my education. I want to give you my job. Lord, I will give you everything. And guess what? We could pile up everything in the world and it still would be worth knowing Jesus. That's life. And I'm not just talking about life from hell into heaven. Yes, I'm talking about life in us. That's true humanity. That's moving from the heart of stone that comes when we live our own way into a heart of flesh that God made us to have, a heart that's full of love because we know God. That's the goal. That's the future. It's difficult. I've said it here, I've said it to my kids in the youth room. My favorite phrase it's like lifting a boulder. It's simple, but it's difficult, I know. But it's worth it. It's worth it. We want it to be complicated because that allows us to not have to follow it. If this is a passage that is just too difficult to understand, Eric, I just the Bible is just so tough. I didn't take any Bible classes. I went to this non-Christian university. I, I don't really understand. I never went to college. I'm just a high school graduate. I hated grammar in school. I I didn't like the conjunction junction. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Well, then we can say, it doesn't make sense. But a lot of times when we say it doesn't make sense, we're really thinking and meaning, I don't want to do that. So that's the one thing in this passage. Does Does it really not make sense? Paul says, press on, forget what's behind, strain towards the goal that you see ahead, press on. Are you really saying, I don't understand that, or are you saying, I don't want to do that? I don't want to press on. All of this stuff behind me, I I liked it. It felt really good to be the head of the company. It felt really good for people to praise me. It felt really good to have a lot of money. It feels really good when I buy a new car. It feels really good when I get that affirmation and that value and everything from that other lifestyle. It felt good. I want that. Is that what we're really saying instead? Instead of, I don't get it, really more of a, I don't want to. Well, I can't answer that question for you. But that's the question Paul was really giving to the Philippians. He wasn't saying, hey, you need to know all of this stuff first. He wasn't saying, you you don't have enough or you've not thought enough. He was really saying, you've got it. Forget what's behind just keep going, press on. Because if you keep pressing on, the goal and the prize are amazing. The beauty of what's ahead makes everything else look like knick-knacks. What we thought was gold is fool's gold. The real treasure, the real beauty, the real amazing is in front of us. So the question we should be asking is not, do we understand this? We should really be asking ourselves, do we practice this? Do I actively practice forgetting what was behind? Do I actively practice straining towards what's ahead? Do I actively press on towards the goal that is Jesus? Does it describe your life? Each morning, do you wake up and say, Jesus, what do I have a hold on to that I need to let go what do I need to grab that only comes from you? What, what's behind that I need to release and what's in front that I need to take a hold of? After we end here in a few minutes, I, I want you to ask yourself a few questions. I, I want you to spend some time in prayer, maybe alone, maybe with your family, uh, maybe you, you pray with your family now and you pray alone later, whatever it is, I want you to take some time and ask God these questions. There's only two, and they require you to, to ask and then listen ask, say, Lord, what am I not forgetting? What, what am I grabbing on from behind me and trying to pull, like, I, yeah, I'm kind of pushing forward, but I, I'm still pulling this from behind. What am I not forgetting that I need to forget? Lord, what am I not forgetting? And then ask the second question, Lord, what vision of you do I need to see? Yeah, I'm going to forget, but what vision do I need to see? Maybe you could say, Lord, show me your glory. Show me this beauty. Show me what I'm pressing on toward. Lord, what vision of you do I need to see? Please write those down. Please ask them. Ask them now. Ask them tomorrow. Ask them for the next week. Ask them for the next month, the next year. Maybe that defines how you and your relationship with God looks for the next season. Lord, what do I need to forget and what do I need to see? Because the one thing Paul calls us to do is to press on. And the only way we can press on is if we know what we're leaving behind and we know what we're going to ahead. That's the beautiful thing. That's the amazing piece of all of this that the goal is to be with Christ, but he doesn't just leave us there alone. He says, he's at the end, he is the goal, but he also comes alongside of us and says, let me help you. Let me push this with you. We've got this. You're good. Press on. Let's pray. Lord, I am grateful that you call us to press on. Because too often I want to just stop and sit and wait. I want to just wait until everything is easier. Wait until there's more resources. Wait until it's more fun. Wait until I don't have to do what you're calling me to do anymore. And Lord, thank you that you come and you say, Press on, I'm with you. Thank you that you show us how to forget what's behind these old systems of life. Lord, thank you that you give us vision for what's ahead. That you say, you're not just pressing on because you're pressing to me. You're pushing to me. You're coming to me. Lord, we are grateful for that. And that is a blessing. Lord, we love you and we're grateful for you. Now, before we go, if you've never taken that moment or chosen to give your life to Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity right now. If you're that person who says, I just feel like I'm pressing and pressing and pressing, but I have no vision, I have no goal, I I don't see what's ahead, and I have all of this stuff lugging behind me, and you're saying, "I, I don't want that anymore, I want Jesus, I want this good life, I want the vision of the Lord, then I want to invite you into that today. All you need to do is say a simple prayer. It's only one sentence, it's not long, it's not the prayer that saves you. It's not everything that you and God need to talk about, but it's a start. Just pray and say, Lord, I give you my life. Lord, I give you my life. And if you prayed that prayer, we believe that you are part of the family of God, and that is something to be celebrated. We are so excited for that. We'd love for you to press that tab that came up on your screen in the chat that says, I committed my life to Jesus today. We'd love for you to connect with one of our hosts that we may not know you right now, but we want to get to know you. We want to be able to pray for you. And just know that we will be praying for you in the days and weeks to come as you begin your new Christian journey with Christ. We'd love for you to continue to connect with Calvary as we can walk alongside you in this walk. If you're like, Eric, I've done that before. I've already committed my life to him, but I just don't, I don't feel like I'm really all in. I I feel like I'm pushing, but I'm still bringing all this. Well, let me tell you, today is the day to let everything be behind it. Practice forgetting again and strain and push towards what is in front of you. We'd love for you to connect with a host as well. We are glad that every single one of you were here with us.